If you were to rank all the events of church history in order of their impact, what would be the most important? Well, no doubt, resurrection of Jesus would be the most important, number one. Number two would probably be Pentecost, just the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all people and and just the beginning of God's kingdom on earth in a very, very special way. And then in my list, and and there is no Bible list, and so it's kind of uh, everyone's own perception, but but in my list, Paul's conversion would would be number three. Um, I mean, there have been a lot of important people converted over the years. When Constantine became emperor, he baptized his entire empire. But, But the transformation that took place in the Apostle Paul that first impacted Gentiles in the first century and then extended on through all of his work, and then in the writings that we have in the New Testament, continues to impact all of Christianity. And so I would say his is probably the one of the most significant conversions that we have. Now, our text for today comes from Galatians chapter 1 and, and also a bit from chapter 2. And these verses fit into the historical time frame of what we've been looking in the book of Acts. Last week we saw actors, uh, Acts chapter 15, and previously we had looked at Stephen. Now, as we read these texts, let me warn you that the language is very theological and can be a little bit thick or dense or hard to work through. And so as I read it, think in terms of the messenger and the message. And uh, because those are the two main things that Paul is going to be kind of uh, uh, pointing out. And as a kind of connection to, to, to Mother's Day, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So Paul, in a sense, was acting like a mother uh, uh, as he helped um, raise in a spiritual way these uh, church members, these individuals that he considered to be his spiritual sons and daughters. So we're going to first read uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, and then we'll read chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. Galatians 1, 13. Paul writes, you know what I was like when I followed the when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away to Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. And then Paul continues to uh, uh, discuss his relationship with the Jerusalem church. Uh, he, He narrates a conflict he had with Peter because Peter was kind of playing both sides of the aisle, as it were, uh, when he was with the Gentiles. He was accepting and loving of them, eating their food. And then when Jewish Christians appeared from Jerusalem, then he kind of backed off and, and took a different stance. And Paul confronts him and stands up to him. 
And that leads Paul in verse 15 of chapter 2 to kind of focus on what he really felt was the message. He writes, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of law, I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. Verse 20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Now, we first read about Paul when he was still named Saul. That was his Jewish name. Paul is the Roman version of that. We read about him at the conclusion of Stephen's execution, the first Christian martyr. He was approving and participating from a distance of that execution. He was born a Jew, raised a Pharisee, and he did it with gusto. I think Saul might have likened himself to the mighty prophet Elijah, who, who did battle with the false prophets of Baal. And, and on Mount Carmel, they had this showdown. But really, his demeanor, his behavior looked more like a Roman soldier. Just very, very caustic and harsh and doing whatever he could to hurt the people of God. So in Acts chapter 9, Luke records Saul's conversion. Now everybody knew who Saul was. And so after his conversion, there was this distance between Saul and the Christian church. Nobody really knew if this was for real. After all, his conversion might have been like a Trojan horse where he was just looking to infiltrate the church so that he could then do more damage. And so he did have a couple of meetings. He did make a trip to Jerusalem, but then he headed off to Arabia for three years. What's interesting is in that time, Arabia referred to a larger area than just what we would call Saudi Arabia today. It actually included a lot of what is Egypt today, the Sinai Peninsula. And that's where we found, that's where we find Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And that's the same place that Elijah ran after he was persecuted. He was 
discouraged. He was looking for guidance from the Lord. And Elijah and Paul end up on the same mountain. I think it's interesting that Paul was there for three years. And what he says is that he received the teaching about Jesus directly from Jesus himself. And during those three years, Paul, as it were, walked with Jesus like the apostles walked with Jesus when he was here on earth. And Paul received through direct revelation this instruction that he's now sharing with mostly Gentile communities. It's been some 14 years since Paul's conversion on that road to Damascus. And during that time, he's been starting churches and preaching in different communities throughout all of the ancient world. And Paul wants to focus on his message and and why this message is so important, but his critics continue to attack him. And so he feels a need to defend himself. What's interesting is he doesn't look back on his previous life and say it was a huge mistake. It was no good. It's not worth anything. He emphasizes his new life as a revelation from God. Now, at one point, he does refer to his Jewish life as refuse or garbage, or in the King James, I think it says dung. But but that's when he says he com- compared to Jesus, it's like nothing. Rags, literally, compared to riches. And so for God, it was important for Paul first to be Saul. In order for him then to become Paul so he could preach to the Gentile communities. Now, I I don't know about you, but I wonder, well, why didn't he just start off as Paul? (laughs) Why didn't he just start off as a Gentile or a convert, kind of like Cornelius, and then reach the world? Well, evidently, sometimes... In our journey to get to Z, we have to start with A, B, C. Now, I've seen on on YouTube and on TV shows that sometimes police officers will conduct a field sobriety test with a driver. And that test involves the individual reciting the alphabet backwards. I can tell you right now. I can be stone cold sober, as most of the time I am. But if someone were to say backwards, alphabet, or you go to jail, I say, well, let's not even mess with it. Just take me to jail now. I'm just done. That's just, I I just can't think like that. For example, which letter comes first in the alphabet? V, U, or W? You You don't have to say it out loud. Because most of you are going to start like L-M-N-O-P-Q-R-S-T. Okay. Which letter comes first? K, J, or L? You see, in order for me to get those answers, I've got to start back to A, B, C, D, and then I've got to hit it running. Sometimes to get to Z, you have to start with A, B, C. 
It was important for God, for Saul to grow up as a Jew in order for Paul to become his instrument to reach Gentiles. And, and I think that's a really interesting concept. Because in all of our lives, whenever we get to a point of entering into a relationship with God, we think, why couldn't I have just started here? Why did I have to go through all of that? Well, well there's something about living through those experiences that help shape us and form us and make us into the person that God wants us to be. You know, you can think of that in your own development theologically. I would venture to say most of us today do not believe 100% everything we believed the day we were baptized. Our, our development theologically, our relationship with God has grown, has deepened. There are things that we have realized, things that were important then we realize are not quite so important today. Things that we didn't think were important then are extremely important today. And, and so one way to look on our past is to say that was just a waste of time. It was just unproductive. I was just spinning my wheels. It was a huge mistake. Uh, another way to look at it is it was a part of my formation that God wanted me to live through in order to get me to where he wanted me to be. I came to know Christ when I was 19. And for 19 years, I had no clue. And sometimes I thought, man, you know. 19 wasted years. I, I, I look at some of the preachers that I admire and, and some of the brothers that I look up to, and, and, and they started preaching when they were five and six and ten. And they had memory verses nailed at a very early age. And they knew Bible stories from cradle roll on if they had someone, if they were fortunate enough to have someone like Miss Bird teaching them. And, and those experiences for me came when I was 19 and 20 and 21. And I think, man, so many precious years lost. But, you know, Jesus didn't view the Old Testament and his previous existence like that. He, he didn't show up and say, oh, the Old Testament is such a waste of time. No, he said, that's important to build on what we're now doing and I think that's an extremely important part of Paul's heritage. Remember, he said that he lived in good conscience his entire life. And so while when he compares what he has or what he was to what Jesus was, then yes, no comparison. But that doesn't mean he's willing to step on or walk on or, or toss underfoot everything that he had. It was a necessary prelude for where God wanted to take him and where God might want to take us. Well, when we get to the message, we see that Paul wants to emphasize that the message is that in order to become a part of his kingdom, you don't have to become a Jew. You don't have to uh, become circumcised. You don't have to eat like a Jew. You don't have to uh, uh, respect and, and remember the certain holy days. But, but that was hard for people in the first century, especially the Jewish Christians, because all of their life they had been indoctrinated with this idea that this is the way God does it, period. And now Paul and others are saying 
something quite different. And it's unsettling. And so Paul has to be even more explicit and says the law, obeying the law, cannot save you. It cannot. In fact, I died to the law. And once I died to the law, that meant the law had no power over me because I'm totally free. A person's relationship with Jesus, having trust and faith in Jesus is what will determine whether they are in or out. And this isn't just something that you do in your head. This is something you do with a full body experience. Having faith in Jesus means that we are willing and in fact we reenact his crucifixion, his death in Galatians 2.20. When I was hanging out with uh, uh, the, the college students from Fried Hardeman in this campaign when, when I was baptized, um, I, I didn't know any of the songs, didn't know anything about anything. Uh, but one song I learned very early was Galatians 2.20. Scripture song. Very popular. Perhaps you've heard it. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life that I now live in the flesh I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a neat little tune. And I sang it, I memorized it, and I had it down. It wasn't till years later. I said, wait a second, what's the first part of that? I've been what? I've been crucified? I didn't even know what that meant when I was converted. I'd never heard that word before. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, isn't the music doesn't seem to fit the words. <laughs> right? It sounds like such an upbeat, happy, you know, vacation Bible school kind of song. If you were writing a screenplay about Jesus' crucifixion and you were tasked with setting the music for his crucifixion, what, what kind of music would you choose? Something somber, reflective, deep, muddy, tragic. Anything but bubbly. And this idea that Paul puts forth is is so profound. He was affected to his core that following Jesus means imitating Jesus in everything, not only in the good things where he did these miracles and helped people and gave food and, and was the, uh, uh, the, the toast of the town when he came into Jerusalem on uh, Holy Week, but it meant following him and imitating him even in his crucifixion and his resurrection. And we know that that is enacted through our baptism. And so we tend to think, did it once? I don't really have to think about it anymore. But then Jesus throws a monkey wrench in that and says, take up your cross in Luke 9 every day. Do you remember the actor Bruce Marciano, the um, uh, the happy Jesus? He smiled uh, in ways that... 
uh, uh, previous actors had never smiled when they were doing videos or movies about Jesus. Uh, he, he, he portrayed Jesus in a number of the uh, visual Bible series. In an interview, he said, I believe every Christian should hang on a cross for at least 30 seconds. Their lives will never be the same. Forget hours. Just 30 seconds. And he as an actor was suspended. And that's what Paul says motivated him to understand that this new life in Jesus is a dying and those old ideas and those old traditions have no effect on me now because now I live my life following Jesus wherever he takes me, wherever he leads me, wherever he goes. Because as we also sing anywhere with Jesus, I can safely go. Now, I don't know whether this last illustration is true I tried to verify as much as possible, but I didn't think the elders would um, let me write off a trip to San Antonio uh, to, 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 to verify. Uh, I've been to the Alamo before. Some of you have, but it's been a long time and I wasn't looking for this. But numerous sites say that on a wall near the main entrance to the Alamo is a portrait with the following inscription. James Butler Bonham, who was one of the heroes who died in the Alamo, says, James Butler Bonham, under a portrait, no picture of him exists. This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family that people may know the appearance the man who died for freedom. It's kind of funny, right? We, we don't have a picture of him, but here's somebody that kind of looks like him just to give you an idea of what he looked like. You know, we don't have a picture of Jesus. Nobody knows what he looks like. But we have pictures of you. And if someone wanted to know what Jesus looked like, they could look at you. And they could say, oh, yeah. That's how Jesus acts. And that's how Jesus would respond. And that's what Jesus would do. So as we think about our mission to be crucified with Jesus and then to be raised and walk with him in this new life. Let's make sure we look like Jesus and someone might confuse us and say, uh, did, did Jesus just walk by? Sounds hokey, but that's who we are as Christians, imitators of Christ.